This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening. This is your host, Ray. Welcome to the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, Very late on this Monday evening, we will be discussing student aspirations. Are they different between London and the rest of the UK? If they are, what are schools meant to do about that? We'll find out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So on today's show, we have one a very special guest fellow teacher, Anna, who is here to share her experiences in this area. So I, I'm Ray. I've taught in London schools for 12 years in a number of them around London. I've recently moved to Derby, which is a very different experience. And this is very new, new for me. A lot of it's very new and the students are very new and what they plan on doing with their lives is very new for me. So I've been thinking a lot in the past few months about what that means and the differences between the students that I've taught in London and the students that I'm currently teaching in Derby. So obviously my experience in Derby is limited at the moment, but the the differences are very stark. So I've been talking to a number of of educational professionals about this and, and come across a wide range of opinions and experiences about how students' aspirations and their dreams and their visions for their careers and their their goals in terms of exams and how all of that fits together for their futures, how how they're different in London compared to the, the, the rest of the country in different places outside of Derby as well. So tr- in trying to get my head around <laughs> what this actually means and whether there is a clear difference between our great capital and the rest of this entire nation, um, we're going to talk through some of that um, tonight and see if we can maybe get to the bottom of it. If, 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 are my hypotheses correct? And if so, if there is a difference in in aspirations, generally speaking, between London students, if there is something about London, living in London, growing up in London, attending a London school, if there is something about that that somehow influences students' aspirations in a way that is different to the rest of the country, then to me the questions are twofold. One, are, are London schools making enough of the resources they have available? Are London schools aware that their students have different aspirations and they're maybe on a, on a slightly different wavelength. And what are, what are London schools doing about that? But also, because London, I don't personally believe, is the centre of the universe, how are schools in the rest of the country addressing this? Is it something that is being addressed? Is it something that needs to be addressed? Are schools elsewhere in the UK actively trying to close the gap that may or may not exist? What, what's being done and what should we be doing, really? So, um, again, a bit of background on me. I obviously am not from here. I've lived in the Bahamas. I've lived in Canada. That's where I attended school. So my educational experience only began in this country when I came here in 2010 to do my PGC. So I know the UK. I know London as a teacher, as an education professional, but I didn't grow up here, so I don't have that perspective. Um, and I also don't have the deeply entrenched class perspective that I think also plays a huge part in here, but we'll get to that later. And I'd like to introduce our uh, our guest, Anna, if um, Anna is able to join us in a moment, then she'll give, she'll give us a, a bit of background about herself as well and where she's gone to school, where she's, where she's worked and um, what she's up to now. That would be great. Anna, are you here? Hi, Ray. Yes, I am. Hi. Thank Excellent. You <laughs> You're um, very welcome. So, yeah, so um, I am Anna and um, I've taught also in London for a few years. I'm also from London. I grew up in London. Um, I taught there for, uh, I can't really remember, five or six years, I think, uh, before moving up to Edinburgh. Um, so I'm 
currently uh, been at school for three, three, four years in Edinburgh. Um, and so I'm here to maybe bring a little bit of a Scottish dimension to this conversation. Edgy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you, have a, you, have a, you have a rather different education system up there, don't you? Yeah. Um, it is very different, more different than maybe I knew when I was going up there. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, different exams, uh, different curriculum, um, different potentially outlook. Um, and, uh, dare I say it, a better work-life balance. <laughs> oh, so, that stings. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but it's true. Mm. Um, in my experience anyway. Okay. So, so let me, let me tell you my hypothesis in, in clear, clear terms, I hope. And then you can tell me what you think about it. So my hypothesis is this, there's something about, there's something about London that almost without realizing it, without um, students, without teachers, without staff fully appreciating this, there's something about London that causes young people to just naturally, almost through osmosis, through, through every second of their existence, be more aware of different industries, different opportunities, different options, different paths that they could follow. There's something about living there and being educated there and growing up there. Everything seems reachable. Things seem touchable. Things seem within the realm of possibility. Being around all of these different industries, and I do mean, I mean I'm mean, i an English teacher. You're an English teacher. Um, I've also taught drama. You've also taught drama. So we're, we, are, we tend to be kind of creative humanities language type type teacher. So I'm talking about those those industries and that aspect of culture as well. But I also mean things like finance, you know, um, money, these these massive <laughs> parts of, of London that you'd think would be very appealing to a wide range of young people, you know, money, who doesn't want that? All of that is is so within grasp for them. And they're grown up with the nearness of it. They can hop on the Jubilee line and, and get anywhere. You know, they can they can just get there so quickly and so easily. It's, it's seeable, it's touchable. Even if they haven't been central and teaching in Croydon, it's shocking the number of students that have not been central except to go shopping on, on Oxford Street at Christmas time. They, they know it's there, it's around them, it's, 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 it's in the air. So they have this awareness of these, of these different industries and these different potential careers. That's not true elsewhere. So I'm not even talking about the tiny village school in, in the middle of Norfolk or all the way up in Scotland. I'm talking about other cities, proper cities in this country that don't have the breadth of culture and industry that exist in London. Students just don't see themselves in it because they're not in it. It's, it's, there's a distance to it. There's something far away. They don't grow up taking it for granted that this is something they could do or this is something they could be a part of. So my theory is that that situation, that dynamic means that so many young people grow up in London feeling that so many more things are attainable and that that influences without parents even trying, without schools even trying, it influences their aspirations and their, the, their assumptions about what they can and cannot do, their beliefs in what they can and cannot achieve. And I, I firmly believe that is the case. And that is, that is the, the, that geography, essentially, the way this country is set up and, and London being this, this black hole that sucks up absolutely everything. I believe that is the primary difference for these, these aspirational differences that I have noticed, and I hope you can contribute on one way or another. So then the questions that follow, assuming that my theory is correct, which it may not be, but I do believe it is, there are two questions that follow. Number one, are London schools doing enough to make use of these opportunities and these resources that they have? Because I'm not convinced that they are. And I would like to hear later on from, from some other people who have opinions on this about whether schools in London are, <clears throat> excuse me, aware of what they have, aware of their immense privilege, privileges, and 
are they doing enough to connect their students to it and make the most of that? Uh, the, the flip side of that is, point number two, are schools elsewhere in the UK aware of it? And are they doing enough to close that culture and a, cultural and aspirational gap? And really, given the limitations that schools have and the immense pressure that we're under and everything, all this pressure that is put upon us all of the time to do everything under the sun, what physically can we do in other schools elsewhere to bring, um, I, I, I hate saying this and this is not what I mean, but it, but it is in a way, to bring London... <laughs> to these students. It shouldn't have to be that way, but it is. So, Anna, mm-hmm. do you do you think my theory carries any weight or or am I completely on the wrong path here? Um, I would say your theory is in part correct, but I think there's also um, a great, uh, f- lots of aspects that I think um, we're missing out on when it comes to to aspirations okay um, so I think you know London is um definitely like as you say a cultural uh epicenter of the UK there's no avoiding it um you can feel that being in Derby you can feel that being in a, a tiny place on the southwest I'm sure you can feel that even in Scotland which is you know a whole other nation and even in the capital city being Edinburgh, you can feel that pull of London in many ways. Um, a lot of my students, you know, are very excited when they hear that I'm from London. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably for the wrong reasons. Um, mine, are, mine are excited too when they find out I work there and then, and then the accent clicks and they get very confused. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they also kind of look at me strangely because um, <laughs> I don't fit the typical TikTok version of um, a Londoner that they've seen online or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think um, in saying that, I think um, I think that, you know, it would be great to hear from some teachers who teach in Manchester, who teach in uh, Liverpool or mm-hmm. uh Newcastle or Birmingham, um, you know, with their perspectives on this, because I think, um, in my in my uh, in my experience, being in Scotland, um, there's a certain different pool, right? There's a certain different energy that is also pulling people towards Edinburgh and pulling people towards Glasgow, especially in that area around the central belt of Scotland. Um, where in its own in its own way um sees itself as kind of the center of the world right yeah um, you have a lot of the creative industries a lot of the arts um taking place in glasgow or or edinburgh um a lot of the finance taking place in those two cities as well a lot of the business opportunities etc 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 um so i see in my students that I teach um, uh, in a a sense they are being pulled to London but in a sense they they also have opportunities around them Um, and maybe it's uh, it's been slow to pick up after Covid you know that Mm -hmm. there are these opportunities that are available and we're only really having maybe the first or second full year of being back in the full swing of things, people organizing trips, people um, going that extra mile to expose students to wider opportunities that are out there. And we are lucky um, being in Edinburgh that it doesn't take, you know, a full day on a coach um, to travel three and a half hours at five o'clock in the morning (laughs) to go and visit the National Library of Scotland, for example, that I took my mm. students on last year. Um, we had another sc- school there who had come all the way from um, uh, oh, Fraserburgh, which is on the coast up near Aberdeen, um, mm. to, to, to talk in there, uh, to, to have the same workshop. Um, and my students got a lot out of that. I'm sure their students got a lot out of that. Um, 
but the difference in effort and time it took for me to arrange that, which was just basically, yeah, come to school, normal time. Um, we're just going to head out, just going to hop on the bus. Um, you know, uh, you'll be home at, you know, four o'clock as normal compared to a whole day um, on the coach for these guys mm-hmm. is, you know, it's much harder. Um, and I think yeah. um, a lot of the cultural institutions in England as well, they're centered around London. Um, a colleague of mine was saying um, that the BFI, uh, she worked there for a little while and she had lots and lots and lots of school groups coming in. But, you know, mainly from London and the surrounding area and the further away you got, the harder it became to take take a school group there for the day. And she said, you mm-hmm. know, she was reminded she's from Inverness. She uh, has, um, she was, she noticed that, you know, even though the BFI had the film funding uh, and education funding for the whole of the UK. Um, hardly any teachers in Scotland knew what the BFI was or, you know, had any access to their yeah. educational resources um, at that time anyway. So and, think- and, it's, and it's such a, sorry to interrupt you, it's such a different experience. So I, I know you can, you can go watch, for example, the BFI just reminded me of, of National Theatre. Um, mm mm-hmm. And, you know, you can you can go to the cinema and you can see a National Theatre Live production on the screen in the cinema. But that is so, as anyone who's been to any any show, any theatre, any theatre ever knows well enough, it's such a different experience experiencing it live. And we want these young people to have these vivid, you know, physical experiences, real life, real time, live experiences. And that's were to take them to the cinema instead of taking them to the theater as much as we would love to say it's 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 a comparable thing it's it's absolutely not and Perhaps, yeah yeah they just but, but what are the options it come you know distance and time and resources it's 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 incredibly difficult but sorry as you're well, saying that, that is that is absolutely true and that's the case that i i took my students to see the crucible last year and to see othello uh done at national theater live mm-hmm. and you know it it was similar to a uh a theater but it wasn't it wasn't that same spark and electricity no of course not um, and you know we're munching popcorn on our way through, you know, and they got very excited about the interval, but it's not the same as being in a live uh, theatre audience and having that magic in front of you. Um, Of course not. But it's still very worthwhile to do. I think, um, I think there are, there are those ideas surrounding geography, right? But I think then maybe we are missing out on some other aspects, right? Class plays an absolutely massive, um, uh, fa- like plays an absolutely massive role in the um, in the aspirations of students, uh, mm-hmm. whether that is in London or elsewhere. I mean, I think you you make the I make a good point that um, you know working class students in London they they are exposed to more of that kind of aspiration that you've talked about um Mm -hmm. but i think it's that's a role i think also um as another one of my colleagues was talking about it's about the type of aspirations that students have and how that changes across Mm -hmm. the country as well yeah Um, absolutely and i think if we're on that note if we're talking about aspirations i think we need to operationalize what we mean by that what 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 do we mean by aspiration? Because I was when I was speaking to a colleague recently and saying, you know, it's just it just it's just so different here. These the, what the the kids are envisioning for themselves and their futures and what their their aims are and their goals are. And I think she assumed because I'm a teacher in a school that I was nat- naturally talking about exam results and and you know the grades that the students were aspiring to achieve. And obviously that's significant. <laughs> obviously that's incredibly important. Um, and I have noticed a difference with that as well. But the what's what's really struck me, and I think the bigger issue is is their futures, like their their wider aspirations, their aspirations to 
contribute and be involved in the world around them, their aspirations with regard to their careers, so they can uh, be adequately informed, be familiar with as many different opportunities as possible, and then choose a career that they have a genuine passion for. So when they're waking up every morning, they they feel that why they 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 know why they're doing this, and they actually maybe want to go to work or at the very least don't hate it or resent it because they chose a career in a place where they felt they didn't have a choice. or that was just the assumption or the given that they were going to go and do. And I'm obviously we are all concerned with, with students getting the best possible exam results and doing very well academically and having high academic aspirations. But again, to me, looking at the bigger picture and caring about young people turning into successful adults, exam results matter to me most because of the doors that they open and the, the, the uh, opportunities that they create for these young people, uh, a seven or an eight or a nine, th- those are just numbers, but what, what are they going to do for you later? How are they going to um, keep your options open? What are they going to present you with? What are they going to allow you to do once you leave your GCSEs or you leave your A-levels? That's, that's so much more important than a number on a piece of paper. And I think when we talk about aspirations, we need to to be aware exactly what you said of there being different aspirations for different people in different places. And not not every student is going to have those high academic aspirations for a variety of reasons. Um, do you do you think have have you noticed being outside since you've left London, being outside of, of London, that students' academic aspirations are different from what you're used to? Um I would say um, it, you know, it comes down, depends on the student. Um, I teach in a school which is um, quite, uh, you know, got a mix of, of backgrounds and of, uh, of kind of, uh, you know, wealth indicators. Uh, there are some quite wealthy areas in the catchment um, and quite, um yeah, working class areas in the catchment as well. Um, and I think it, it can come down to definitely the student and definitely um, where they've been brought up and what environment they've been brought up in. Some students are really, they are aiming for um, great academic attainment. Other students, they're not so bothered. And really in Scotland, there is much more flexibility. Um, it's not like uh, you sit your GCSEs once or, you know, and, you know, if you don't pass that one time, you have to keep repeating them until mm-hmm. uh, the day you graduate or whatever. <laughs> it is, it is, it's definitely like you um, should in S4 be sitting your Nat 5s, but if Nat 5s are a bit too much for you, you can sit a Nat 4, which is an easier uh, exam. You get the Nat 4 qualification. Uh, maybe Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Next Wait. year. Are you telling yeah, me that the, the exams in Scotland are actually, there's flexibility to tailor them oh, to individual yeah. students and not yeah. everyone has to sit the same exam at the same time? Yeah. What a novel absolutely. concept. I know. How fabulous. Know. My goodness. Um, and even, even if those students don't achieve their Nat 5s and they, end at the, and they leave school at the end of fifth year, um, which many do, so at the time that they're 16, we don't, have compulsory education until you're 18. Um, they move on to college where they have other, they've got more chances to sit those Nat 5s, but they can also just retrain and, and do something much more practical, like get a trade. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. They, and, sorry, go on. So, in, I think in Scottish schools, there isn't this, um, you know, you were talking about, uh, we think about aspiration as being the exam results. In many ways, that's true still, but in many ways, that's really not the be all and end all um, for Scottish schools. You know, there's not the same focus on league tables um, <laughs> and there's not the same focus on, you know, grading a school determined purely on that. I mean, there is still mm-hmm. some, but it is not. Yeah. Um, teachers don't feel the same pressure. And I would argue that probably in England, there is a lot more uh pressure on the teacher for their own sake rather than the student's sake. Absolutely. And I think, I think so often in, in England, everywhere in England, that 
you know, student aspirations and raising student aspirations is really just to cover. If, if by that they mean raising students' attainment on exams, it's just to cover for the school's own anxiety about the league tables and the Ofsted report. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of pressure on schools and on teachers is, is kind of filtered down to, you know, the teaching staff, um, the just teachers as being for the students when actually, you know, that's, that's not why you're pushing this here. But anyway, um, I would like to hear more uh, from different teachers in different areas. And we're getting a few messages through that I'm going to read in a moment. Um, So if you're listening and you have input from other areas of the country, particularly um, more rural areas or or deprived areas outside of, of major cities, that would be, that would be useful. Although hearing from teachers, in major cities in the UK that are not London would also be very interesting. So please do, uh, please do message or or feel free to call in if that applies to you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. Two three two four for twenty percent off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online, and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials, and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC News website reports on announcements that GCSE students in England will get formulae and equations in their maths and science exams for summer 2024. The Department for Education has asked the exam regulator to extend previous support for another year to limit the impact of COVID. Most students who were due to sit GCSE exams next summer were in year seven when the first lockdown began. Teaching unions have welcomed the proposal, which is being consulted on. The DfE said it would mean enhanced formulae and equation sheets for pupils in maths, physics and combined science. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said these pupils will be the last to experience two years of national closures during secondary school, and that it was right that they get additional support. She went on to say it was disappointing that the decision had been made so late on, as many pupils will take mocks in the coming months or so. The union ASCOL welcomed the consultation, but argued that the provision of support materials should be permitted as it would reduce some of the stress of exam preparation and allow pupils to focus on core knowledge and skills. Prior to this announcement, exams in England had been due to return to 2019 arrangements. Exams were cancelled across the UK in 2020 and 2021 and grades were based on teacher assessments. When students returned to exam halls in 2022, they were given extra support. Some measures remained in place for exams in England in 2023, with exams in the same subjects spaced more apart. 
formula and equation sheets in some subjects and not being tested on unfamiliar vocabulary in modern foreign languages. But unlike the rest of the UK, students in England were not given information on topics on which they were being tested. England was also the only nation this summer to bring back in line with 2019, with Wales and Northern Ireland planning a slow return. As a result, the drop in pass grades was steepest in England. In another week of political drama, the latest government reshuffle has seen the return of many familiar faces. For education, it means the return of former Education Secretary Damien Hines as Schools Minister. He replaces Nick Gibb, who resigned to pursue a job in the diplomatic service. A report in FE Week focuses on Hines' previous experience leading the DFE between January 2019 and July 2019, during which time the government completed reforms to technical education. Hines has previously said, after his 2019 departure, that there was still work to do on social mobility. He was replaced by Gavin Williamson. The Education Secretary stated Mr Hines is hugely experienced and who would continue to build on Nick Gibbs' record of driving up standards. Mr Hines is the sixth person to hold the Schools Minister role in 18 months. The Glasgow Times reports on what it calls the long-term decline in education standards after the Institute of Fiscal Studies looked at Scotland's disappointing history in PISA figures, an international measure. Since 2012, Scottish scores in maths and science have declined. The figures also show a wide gap between the richest and poorest in maths, science and reading, but more well-off students also underperform when compared to their English counterparts. Large increases in spending and big reforms such as the Curriculum for Excellence do not seem to have translated into higher performance, according to Andrew McKendrick, one of the report's authors. A Scottish Conservative education spokesman said the report should act as a wake-up call for the SNP and Scottish Labour said it exposed the damage the SNP has done. Finally, Schools Week reports on the invitation to schools to request a free portrait of King Charles II under a new government scheme. The scheme is costing £8 million. Those wishing to take up the offer must apply before the 2nd of February 2024. The King will be shown in ceremonial dress and delivery of the images will take place between February and April next year. The A3 size picture will be printed on high quality paper and be in a glazed frame. Schools which display pictures of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth will not be obliged to take down her portrait. Suggested placement of the image of His Majesty is reception areas or a function room or similar location. Schools will not be able to see the portrait before submitting requests. The image is not being funded from school budgets, but out of a separate pot similar to the scheme which provided a free book to every primary school pupil to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in 2021. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So um, there's some interesting Scottish news for you there, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, it's I well. I, I, I know it's a, it's a, it's a totally different system, and and you, I know you, as you said, are a separate nation, but we are part of the UK. Yes, it is all relevant. We're we are all one, really. So I've got some, <laughs> I've got some messages. Some uh, some texts have come in from. I mean, I've got some personal messages, but some texts have come in to the show. Um, from a number of people we've got paul who's who's saying that where he is in the northwest raising children's aspirations is a tricky issue in deprived areas and and this is this is exactly what i'm saying it's in the midlands where i am right now it's it's it feels incredibly difficult to get students to to raise their aspirations, but I feel like in order to raise their aspirations, you have to present them with things to aspire to. And, and this is, this to me is a whole issue. How, how do you bring these different options? How do you bring these different, these different careers to the students in a, in, in an effective way? So I, I ran a little uh, informal survey with some of my students over the past week. So I, I polled three different okay. classes yeah, science. Pulled, pulled three different classes about their 
career aspirations and what they wanted to do when they're older, um, where they they got this idea from, like what inspired them, what what their families wanted them to do, if anything, were they you know being pushed toward a particular career path? Did they think they were going to be successful at what they wanted to do? Some of those answers were depressing to say the least. And did they know the that the training or education required to achieve those goals. So wide, wide, wide range of, of, of responses, which was enlightening for me as their teacher, uh, including, I asked my form as well, my year seven form, bless them. So that was, that was really good for me to know. But in terms of what we're discussing, what was most relevant, what was most concerning to me was the percentage of students who had genuinely no idea, or at least not one they were comf- comfortable sharing anonymously with me. The the other two were anonymous, but I put, got the names on the on the forum group for my own personal reasons. So the first question was, "What do you want to do? What what's your what are your ideas for your career? What what are you you know leaning towards? What do you want to do when you're older?" And thirty percent of my year eight class, thirty percent three zero said they had absolutely no idea. Now the schools I worked in in London. Year eight, there would have maybe been one or two kids that genuinely had not a clue. There would have been a handful more that probably, well, definitely would not have been comfortable discussing what they wanted to do with the whole class or even with me. But in an anonymized survey, the fact that almost a third of them claim they have no idea what their career goals or aspirations are is shocking to me. 40, 40% of my form my year seven form said they had no idea what they wanted to do. And what scares me the most is 40, again, four zero, though this is a slightly smaller cohort, 40% of my year 11 class said they had no idea what they wanted to do career-wise. These students are currently applying to six forms in colleges and apprenticeships, mm. and they don't know what they want to do. That To, like, to me, that is unheard of. And with the experiences I've had in, in London schools and particularly around work experience and and careers, there's just no way that that many students would have got to year 11 claiming to have, claiming to have no idea what they, what they want to do with their lives or, or what they want to do career-wise. It just, it, it simply wouldn't happen. And in, in my South London school, careers-wise, there are so many opportunities to present these young people with these different options they they have um there's you know bring your daughter to work day there's it was a girl's school i was working at last there there are um so many different work experience opportunities last last year i had to check up on a few students and their work experience visits to see how they're going i went to diane abbott's office diane abbott's actual literal office in westminster to check up on a student doing a work placement there went to to Warner Music, the actual offices in in that ridiculous, ridiculously gorgeously decorated office. You go to all these amazing places and our students are there and they're working with these people and they're learning these skills and they're experiencing these places and and these jobs and this the potential for future, their their own futures. And it's just you would you would never get almost half of a year eleven class saying they had absolutely no idea. They might have pie in the sky dreams. It might be totally unrealistic, but they would they would have something that they were driving themselves mm-hmm. towards. And getting getting those those um, highly scientific poll results was shocking in in kind of the worst possible way. And it just made us made me wonder what we are doing. What can we do given the you know financial resource limitations to boost these these students experiences and I, I went and I talked to our careers advisor because we're you know there there's a huge number of, of people premium students in my school as there were in my last school in London as well so it, it is more or less on par and said you know what what are the options where do the kids go what do they do and and she was saying a lot of the similar things that that the the London students did at my previous school in in South London and she she said what what surprised me actually um she also said you know because this is such a deprived area where, where I am in Derby that actually there there is some government funding there are a lot of programs available for students to to 
experience different career paths and and kind of broaden their horizons a little bit. And that was that was uh, comforting. But I also thought, well, if my school in London was a deprived postcode as well, so clearly um, that's not where any any kind of the differences are from. The, these these opportunities that are presented to my uh, people premium students in Derby, for example, are also maybe not the same same exact experiences, but opportunities are also being presented to London students who are socioeconomically deprived. So there's that's not filling a gap, if you see what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They're they're not they're not actually filling any sort of gap. They're 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 helping everybody, which is brilliant and I love that. But it's not solving the problem of three kids in a class not being able to tell me what they want to do versus almost half in year 11. So what what can we do? And I'm, when I say aspirations, now I'm talking about careers-wise specifically. What can we do? So um, we, we have a, a listener that has said she's working um, in a school in a, in a careers capacity. Allison, are you here? Hello. Good evening, everyone. Hello, Alison. So, can you can you tell us a little bit about what uh, what you're doing and and what your experiences are, and if you're involved in careers, how that is, and and what your experience of all of this is? Yeah, of course. So, I am the careers lead and the careers advisor for a secondary school in South London. Okay. Um, I'm very lucky that I have an amazing support from our senior leadership team which mm-hmm. I find when I speak to other professionals within sort of the careers area, that they don't have that. Um, you're talking about the aspirations. I would say a lot of my students come from very low income backgrounds. I don't know how mm-hmm. many are pupil premium and free school moves, but it's quite a high majority of them. But that doesn't seem to have any difference when I meet with them individually, because I meet with them. So we're very lucky we do things with our girls or with our students all the way through the year. So we also have a Take Your Daughter to Work Day for the Year 7 students. Um, the Year 8 is a little bit quieter. Year 9, we have a careers fair for them where we invite people in from different industries. We have people in from universities, from colleges, um, apprenticeship providers, just to give them ideas of what's actually out there. Because as you say, Ray, it's a really good point for them to know what is out there, what so there's so many different opportunities for young people these days that I certainly didn't get and probably not even 10 years ago. Um, year 10, we have work experience so the students can go absolutely anywhere within reason. And we have a massive range of placements from like nurseries to working with um, going into parliament. We've had students working in um, as architects. We've had them on building sites. We've had them in record companies. We've had them all over the place. Then a year mm-hmm. 11, we kind of a little bit more intense. We meet, well, I meet with them all individually. Again, we take the lower, um, probably the students that have got lower attainment, lower academic ability, we take them to colleges so that they can find out what courses are available to them and where they can lead in. I think it's giving them information um, as yeah. much as you can from as young age as possible. And I also include the parents in that as well. So I send out emails to parents of any opportunities that I think the students would be interested and would be beneficial to them so that the parents are also aware because I think it's having that support from the senior leadership team, having parents being aware um, and again having as many people coming in to talk to the students all the way through their time in school so that they know exactly what is out there. But I would say and hearing what you said about the um, your year 11s, was it 40% you said didn't know? Yeah, 40, 40%, nearly half of my year 11 class. Yeah. Well, I'm, as I say, I meet with all the year 11s and I'd say we've got about 200 and something in each year group, probably 20 out of the 200. My maths isn't, my, I'm not a maths teacher, my maths isn't, isn't great, but that's a pretty <laughs> high percentage of children who know what they want to do. And again, it could be it could be completely unrealistic, like a lot of them want to be doctors and, and they're not quite going to make it. However, what I will show to show them is, no, you might not be a doctor, but there is amazing careers that you can do in the health sector with the grades that you're getting so that you're not going to be forcing yourself to try and train for something that you're not ever going to get to. Um, but yeah, yeah they, they know. And I think it's having that introduction from such a young age. We have online platforms that we use that, yes, there are a lot out there that cost money, but there's also a lot out there that are free. Um, there, there is just so much out there for young people. It's just a shame. I don't quite know how 
um, to get other yeah. schools to kind of take up on that. But yeah, as I say, well, this is this is the thing, and it's yeah, I, it's it's so good to hear from a, a, a careers lead in London who sounds like from everything you've just said, it sounds like you have a supportive SLT, you have parents, you're able to get parents on board and and involved, which is so important because so many so many of our parents parents in every school I've worked at will will they they can't necessarily help their children on their own because they don't know the options out there they don't know how to to help their children or they're not aware enough of of what is what is out there to be able to yeah. pass that on to their children so to, to have the parents on board is is absolutely important yeah. and it really does sound like you're doing everything your school is doing everything it possibly can to to raise aspirations for your students, and I yeah. I love the fact that this this your your school and, and you seem to appreciate the range of opportunities that are are there in London. Because as as concerned as I am about the rest of the country, I just I personally as a as a classroom teacher and during my time as head of year, even when I had a bit more of an overview of what was going on, I really did not appreciate the difference the differences until i worked in a school outside of the city that was you know you you hear things and you read things about about aspirations in deprived areas etc cetera, etc cetera, and it doesn't really hit you how vast that difference is until you experience it and i my my school now is absolutely lovely and our slt are unbelievably supportive and we have we we have an amazing careers lead that I've very only very recently been able to to meet, and it really does sound like they're also doing absolutely everything they can from a careers point of view. But it just at at this point doesn't feel like enough, and it's not because my school isn't doing enough. I, I feel like it's there there are bigger issues at play here that we need to to find other ways to to work through and to to benefit the students so thank you so much allison for your input that was really oh you're very welcome really thank valuable you. thank you very much you. so we also have a text from paul again he says i've been in primary for 15 years many can tell me that they want to be a vet or a prime drink seller but i also have children who told me that they don't need to get a job because they can stay at home like mom and dad and look after their many many children yes yes that that does concern me so it I have taught many students and I have I have taught students every everywhere I've been whose whose sole ambition is to to um do anything they can to to stay at home but I feel like and again the percentages are definitely going to vary depending on where you are but I feel like there is always going to be a small percentage of students who have the internal drive who have the the internal motivation, personal motivation to do the best they can at everything they can do and give themselves the best opportunities available. And if they have a goal, they're going to, they're going to set wild goal for the goals for themselves and chase them until they get them or not. And they'll find a plan B. There are always going to be those students. There are also always going to be students for whom school is not working and they don't, they, they, they don't want to be there. They genuinely 100% do not care. And there's, there's very little anyone can do to change that. There are always going to be those extremes. It's, it's a matter of, for me, the concern is, is, is that, you know, the other 90% in the, in the middle, and those are the malleable ones. Those are the ones that need support and need to be presented with different opportunities and they need schools and, and communities and the government to support them and work with them and allow them opportunities to be their best self. Those are the ones that that we need to focus on, rather than <laughs> the ones who will be just fine, and the ones that um, that you know they've decided a long, long time ago that they're going to, as Paul says, stay at home and look after their many, many children. So it's it's Ray, kind of note, yeah. May I, may I uh, just talk about an anecdote? Absolutely, heard absolutely. From a, Go ahead. From a colleague um, who was working in Aberdeen, and mm -hmm. um, she had um you know in Aberdeen there's you know uh, a lot of people grow up and they see uh, especially young males they see their dads and their brothers go and work offshore for the oil industry uh, whether that be in an engineering capacity or uh, you know they go off and do degrees in geography or they uh, just go as a pot washer 
um, whatever it is, it pays excellent money and they come back home and, you know, they're definitely in Aberdeen. They're the ones who are making that economy turn over. Um, and in that sense, that's their uh, ambition. It's mm-hmm. not uh, a particularly female friendly uh, environment um, or a big employer of females. And um, women and girls in her school, she felt like it was really the girls who had the massive lack of aspiration um, in that particular context. And their aspirations were, as Paul says, grow up, marry a man who works in oil and live (laughs) happily ever after. And their school was doing a lot in terms of financial literacy and financial independence work. And so they were putting on a lot of schemes to help people understand the importance of financial independence and having your own money and being able to uh, not rely on other people. And that's Mm -hmm. something that they were trying to implement to raise the aspirations of particularly young women in that school. And I think that's something to to bear in mind that sometimes aspiration is not just, uh, you know, doing it all for yourselves and following that wildest dream. Sometimes the aspiration is making sure that you are uh, financially capable and independent and being able to sort yourself out. Absolutely. And I I think we do have to be careful not to try and force our own aspirations onto, onto our students. Because as as we've said, it's not some students are not academic and and they don't want nines and you know what that's okay. My my concern is if you know if a student if a student wants to be a bricklayer and they want to, I'm, I'm picking that because that's what a student told me today they wanted to do. Brilliant, mm-hmm. as long as that's actually what you want to do. Because what what worries me is that you aren't presented with enough opportunities. You haven't you haven't experienced enough. You don't know what's out there. And if you don't know what's out there. How do you know you want to be a bricklayer? Just like if, if all you've ever known is medicine, how do you know you want to be a doctor? You mm-hmm. you need to know your options that you can choose something that you genuinely want to do. And if we don't educate our students in adequately in careers and different paths and different options, then they're not making an educated choice and we're failing them. And Absolutely. That's- and I, I was really interested to hear of all of the online options that there are in terms of um yeah exposing students to different uh, career paths and and things like that that Alison was saying so that's something I'll definitely be thinking about and um yeah and maybe yeah trying to trying to trying to implement in my own school because I don't think we have anything like that yeah it's I've, I've definitely got a lot of thoughts about implementation for my own school as well This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration.
So another thing that's been brought to my attention, and this is why it's so important to talk to your your careers advisors and your your careers leads within school. There is a whole, there are so many theories, Anna, about, about different different careers and how, how young people choose their careers. And I, I didn't really? know this about a conversation. Yes, there are. So for example, <laughs> there was when I was speaking to our careers advisor and I was explaining this and I was like, listen, London is different. And you can talk about class and working class aspirations versus upper class aspirations and middle class. You can talk about that all day and all night. Fact remains, except for those, those, you know, extreme cases that those 90% of kids in the middle are, they are seriously impacted by where they live. Geography matters. The culture of the place matters more than I believe anything else. And I was explaining all of this to her going on quite at, at quite some length. And she finally says, that's opportunity structure theory. I said, excuse me. She's like, oh no, there's this whole, I just did this. I just did this in my master's. There's this whole, there's this whole theory about it. And she told me all about it. So there's, it's, it's so lovely when your own, you know, your own theory and your own idea and your own hypothesis is somehow validated by, by some academic that you, you didn't know anything about. So uh, this guy, Ken Roberts, there's this whole opportunity structure theory. And he says that it's, it's sociological factors that determine the, I'm, I'm grossly paraphrasing here now, that determine the paths we go down and the careers we choose. And it's it's basically, it's kind of all an illusion of choice. And it's your it's things like your your family and your, your, your social class and your location and what's available to you that determines the path you go down. And I was like, this is, this is exactly this is exactly what I've been saying. Yes, thank you, Ken Roberts. And then, but then I, I, d- I did a bit more reading, and this is this is where my my you know I majored in sociology at university. Not that you'd know it, because this is where my sociology brain stops. He also <laughs> says, and and what my understanding of it is that we're we're so limited because of these factors that we there's there's very little individual input, and we really he doesn't say should I I didn't see the word should. He's, I don't think he's talking in shoulds. I think he's talking in what is rather than what should be. But it, it sounds a bit like we should just, or we do just make the most of it and kind of adapt our aspirations to our lot in life and kind of accept our the cards that we've been dealt and and accept our fate, so to speak. And that's, that's what maybe bothers me about this. And that's where I feel like mm-hmm. um, some other theories... Um, Again, me and my me and my pitiful attempt at research. So Bill Law has this community interaction theory, community interaction theory, which I think is a little bit more um, middle ground. But I I feel like if if all we do is is just accept that our parents have never left this area of the country and everyone around us is a bricklayer. So we're going to be a bricklayer too. Or this is Darby. There's a huge engineering industry here. Everyone in my family works for Rolls-Royce. So I'm going to go be an engineer at Rolls-Royce, not having any concept of what that means or what you need to get there. You know, are, are we, that doesn't seem right to me, whether it's, you know, something that's academically good in quotation marks, or whether it's something that's, you know, more, more hands-on, builder type job. I just, it, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're, if you're just doing what you're doing because you feel you should be doing it, or you have zero awareness of other options, then that's your society, your, your influences, your, your culture. I think your, your school is failing you. So I, I get the influences and I hundred percent see that's happening, but I just feel like, I feel like it's our job to make sure these kids know everything that's out there and that these young people can make educated decisions about whether they want to be an engineer or a bricklayer or something entirely different. And oh, absolutely. I think that also not- comes down to those students who might be told um, a lot of the time, you have to be a doctor, you have to mm-hmm. be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, they are not being given that freedom of choice um, to you know, design their own path in life. Yeah. I think yeah. I think uh, there's you know there's the idea of London in particular. I think when we're talking about society, how much easier it is for students who are in big cities, let's say, um, to have the aspiration of going to university when it doesn't mean leaving their uh, hometown. When it doesn't, you know, if 
if money and cost is a factor, which it is for so many young students as well, mm-hmm. to being near, um, to being able to live at home and still attend university is one of the ways to bring those cost factors down massively. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Well, and and London has the, the range of universities and higher education. It does. You know, it does. To, to do well, since, since we can't um, rebuild the country or change the whole world, I think we're going to have to stop there. Uh, for tonight, but thank you so much for jo- for joining and, and contributing your Scottish perspective. Very much appreciated. And I feel like I've gained a bit more of a more of a perspective other than just my my two city experiences. So thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope everyone has a lovely remainder of the evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.